Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. All right, Bud, this is going to be an interesting one. We have a Duke game preview for a game that we're thinking is going to occur. Maybe not necessarily guaranteed at this stage in time. Uh, I've got some listener questions that we want to touch on real quickly. And then we have something at the end of the podcast that is um, kind of just like the psychology of being a fan. You know, if you listen to this because you want to know uh, how the offensive tackles are going to match up with uh, certain defensive ends or something like that. Not necessarily a conversation for you, but something that we uh, just kind of pulled out of our sleeve here in a very odd COVID year. So you may enjoy it. You may not. Nonetheless, we want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, Three Simple Ingredients, One Fantastic Product, title sponsor of the Nolcast, and driving force uh, behind all that we do. So a lot to get into tonight, bud. Let's do it. So four o'clock. ACC network, which means you'll be sure to see a lot of uh, a lot of sham wow commercials and whatnot. Might get the Irish Bowl or whatever horrible thing was that. Uh, What's the Irish? We bowl? all had forced down our throat. Oh, it was basically a mandolin over a bowl, and this guy with a horrible fake Irish accent. Uh, you know, consider yourself lucky if you're just finding out about the Irish Bowl. I must have missed Ooh. this. Oh, mom always said a potato a day kept the tax man away. I don't know what the hell that means or what. It's one of the worst commercials ever. So it's like uh, like like a, a, a heavy like a, a slicer that they're branding like the Irish Bowl. Yes, exactly. You got it. Hmm. I'm not really sure that's uh, okay. I mean, all right. That's uh, that's something. Yeah, it is uh, where we are in life in the ad game right now. So R- yeah. R.I.P. Uh, Billy Mays. One of the best guys to, to do that kind of work. So Florida State is actually favored by four and a half points in this game. The over-under is 55, uh, which is interesting in and of itself. Both these teams come into the game with just two wins. And so this is the battle for the third win, man. Uh, but battle to basically stay out of the basement of the conference. Florida State had guys practicing both ways over the last couple of weeks. So that's, you know, that's, that's not super encouraging as to their hopes of the game. But, you know, both teams are kind of limited in terms of scholarship players and we'll have to see we'll have to see where they go from here. Let me just open this with it because we're, we're going to of course do our, tip, our our typical game breakdowns we, we always do it and I feel like it's just important to do so. At times it seems pointless, but man we only get 10 or 11 of these a year. And so I, I just I, I to me it still feels like some sense of normalcy to go through and actually do the game breakdown even if I know some folks aren't you know super in to the game right now. But man I'm I'm pretty pumped like t- to watch this in some ways, but I want to ask you, what would a win here or a loss here mean to this program? Uh, I mean, broadly speaking, very, very little. Uh, I do think there is some, <laughs> I mean, not that we're flying flags because we've never lost Duke in football before, but there would be some kind of collective like looking around like, yeah, there it is. That's the low, like that's the lowest, hardest kicking the privates that you can take over the course of a football season, right? Like losing to losing to Georgia Tech started off a team that you were fairly confident you were going to beat, uh, all of the crap that transpired throughout it, and then a loss at the end of the season or back end of the season here uh, and playing on December 19th in a game that no one in the world except for those who gamble are going to have uh, the slightest of interest in. It will just confirm that uh, hopefully this is, in fact, <laughs> the, the spot to which we can but go in one direction. So from a, a broadly speaking, this, this game means exceptionally little. If you play this game and you look a little bit better and some of the 
uh, maybe bizarre optimism that was thrown out in some of the press conferences today about or uh, earlier in the week about how the teams looked. And maybe you go to Winston and you play better. Then, yeah, maybe there's some small shred of bounce to be had as you go into the offseason. But, uh, you know, are you and I going to be Noel Kasson in 2023 and talk about the program direction moment that transpired either this weekend or next? Uh, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. Probably so. Yeah, I, I that's that's fair. I, I'm going to agree with you on that. It, it I just don't know if, if, if you win this, does anybody outside the program take notice? Probably not. If you lose this, does anybody outside the program really take notice? Again, I, I think probably not. Still, I think it's an opportunity to see young players. I think it's an opportunity to see how, how much this team Norvell actually has uh, coming off the, in the bye week or, well, multiple bye weeks, I, I guess. And we'll see. We'll see what players they have available. They, the, the press conferences this week, you're right, were, were very, uh, to, to those of y'all who watched them, like they were very upbeat. They were very interesting. And maybe it's just because they've watched Duke on film, right? Maybe they just watched Duke and they <laughs> said, true. all right. This is a team that you could watch a couple minutes of film and be like, oh my God, which I'm sure is what everybody thinks about Florida State as well. But There's no doubt. I expect Duke probably watched Florida State's film and, and thought, well, well, these guys aren't any good. We, we, can, we can certainly... Certainly beat them. Let me ask you this. What's for what 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 is a bigger impact? A positive impact of a win or the negative impact of a loss? Well, I don't think I mean I think I think the back to back losses to Pitt and Louisville basically ripped the heart out of the season, right? So I, I don't know again, I'm just gonna ramble on. I I don't know that there's a ton to be lost. I don't know that there's a ton to be gained. Now, if you tell me that you win both of these games, again, it's not gonna change anybody's opinion outside the program. Or maybe the diehards thinking that there's some nice little, uh, you know, bounce to go into into an off season. But uh, the only thing about the loss that's unique again is you never lost to Duke in football. That is one of the few things that this program can hold on to uh, in the was 37 years it's been in the 27 years rather, excuse me, that it's been the ACC. So um, if that's something that you like to have in your uh, metaphorical trophy cabinet, then maybe that's something that, you know, you have yet another reason to hate this season. All right. So here we go. 844-FSU loans, 844-FSU loan. That is the number to call if you want to get hooked up with a loan from the team at Legendary Home Loans. That's Chad and Shannon. Chad and Shannon do an awesome job when you call them. You just get a tremendous loan, you get a great rate, you get awesome customer service, you get knowledge of the industry, and you'll find out why 120 plus NOLCAST listeners have decided to do so including me. I got my home loan and my refi through those guys. I couldn't be happier. Just the, it, it's that you know, lifetime relationship that you have with Chad and Shannon. The offensive preview, well, I guess this is technically the, uh, the defensive preview for FSU, the offensive preview for Duke, is brought to you uh, by the team at Legendary. Let's get into this. This offense is bad. I mean, I mean, bad, bad, man. This is, this is not a good offense. In, in any way. And uh, this is a chance for FSU's defense to look okay. Not going to lie. You want to you go over these quarterback numbers for Chase Bryce? Chase Bryce is a quarterback you may actually remember from his days at Clemson because these are, these are pretty bad. I mean, there are some amazing numbers here, um, both on the season and the most recent performance. But uh, 55% completion, 9-3 to or 9-13 to 13 touchdown to interception ratio, uh, 9% sack rate. One of the most amazing stat lines I've ever seen in sport is his stat line against Miami. 
I mean, Bud, what if I told you that you had a quarterback that committed, or rather that completed 20 of 25 pass completions? That is impressive. You know, uh, you're doing some things. It's not great. 20 of 25. I mean, that's that's not a luxury that Florida State's experienced a whole lot. Oh, well, yeah, but I, I, I know where you're going, though. I, I, I ruined this, man. It's uh, when I pair it with <laughs> 20 of 25 for 94 yards. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. So it's incredible. Uh, you know, both that stat line. I do think that some of the stuff that they do might trans, you know, I, I think they're going to be able to stress test the secondary. We don't know exactly what the depth looks like. I think this is a very bad offense. I do think that the small things that they do well, that they might be able to have a lot of success with it at the same time. So uh, maybe I am, uh, you know, both a hater and a pessimist, uh, both on, on their offense and how that might transpire to our defense. What if I told you? What, what, what show is that from where, where the guy starts out to, what, what if I told you? It's, I think it's an ESPN thing, right? Remember that? Was it Sports Century or, or something? Uh, well, 30 for 30. Okay, there you go. Isn't that how 30 for 30 open? I, I think you're right. Like, what if I told you that Duke likes to attack with the passing game behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties repeatedly? Because that's what they do. And uh, most teams are pretty good at stopping that because they're not any good at it. But this kind of scares me. Like, like they're 113th in Bill Connolly's offensive SP plus. Like that, that's not any good. However, it, I I do kind of think, man, some of the some of just the stylings of this don't don't match up all that great with with with, with you know what what Florida State does defensively. Who knows? Maybe FSU's young linebackers will come out and they'll play well. But from a stylistic standpoint, that that does scare me a little bit. So that, that's what they want to do. Let's go ahead and get into some of their individual numbers here because they are ugh, like their offense is. It's actually worse than FSU's by a, a pretty decent amount, which is pretty wild. All right, I'm going to hit you with some numbers here. My screen is absolutely lighting up in red. So rushing success rate, 102nd. Rushing efficiency, 110th. Passing success rate, 98th. Passing efficiency, 90th. Passing explosiveness, 111th. Here's one. Rushing explosiveness, 40th. So occasionally, occasionally, Duke will pop a big run. Sack rate allowed, not great. Adjusted net yards per attempt, 116th nationally. Uh, looking for some other numbers here. Opportunity rate. So that's like how often their offensive line actually creates a, a, a decent opportunity for their back. 119th in the nation. Success rate on standard downs, 116th. Success rate on marginal efficiency on standard downs, 112th. They also are terrible at running the ball on first and second down. Just really, really bad. 120th in the nation. Somehow, they're actually not that bad in long down and distance. So that could could create a frustrating day if you're into drinking. Um, They they will probably convert some third and eight, third and 10 type situations on the Knolls just based on on this profile, which is crazy because they give up a bunch of sacks, but Chase Bryce will hold the ball. Like this is not all on the offensive line, right? Um, so that that's that's interesting there. I do think uh, it's worth noting that you know you may have two defensive ends that are very much playing uh, with the idea of improving their draft stock. I mean, I think uh, J. Rob and Kendo could have big days here and be one of the few people that you could see like a legit clear path to 
motivation. And so they could, they could find uh, some really nice film to tag on here at the end of their senior year. No doubt. And especially if Bryce wants to hold the ball for, you know, for, for long periods of time. That, that's, that's absolutely possible. 121st and Havoc rate allowed just tells me that a lot of stuff goes wrong. Now, I want to get into something here because this is absolutely wild. Like, I, I, I look at stats all day. It's part of my job. I don't think I've ever seen a team that has committed 11 more turnovers than the next most turnovers committed by a team in the entire country. Like, you know, you say, okay, like, yeah, they have 11 more turnovers than, than the average team or, you know, whatever. And certainly they, they've, they've played 10 games. So not, not every team has played 10 games. So that's, that's fine. Duke has literally lost the ball 35 times. The next closest team is Louisville with 24. The next closest team is Georgia Tech with 22. There's only two other teams that are even in the 20s. And, and Georgia Tech, or excuse me, and Duke has lost the ball 35 times. I mean, they're averaging three and a half turnovers per game. That scares me a little bit, right? Because you and I both know, we've been doing this long enough, turnovers are not 100% luck. But there's a decent luck component involved in turnovers, especially stuff like, you know, lost fumbles. And uh, if, if you have a lot of your interceptions go the wrong way, that, that type of thing. Um, which, you know, and by that, I mean like more, you know, more passes, you know, that you throw being caught as opposed to knocked down, all that kind of stuff that, that, that does seem to, to fluctuate pretty hard. And then there's a good, good luck component in that. If you look at just missed fumbles here or lost fumbles, here's where I think Duke is, uh, is one of the unluckiest teams in the nation. Now they're also bad. Like their non turnover related numbers are also really bad. I, I don't want to have my, my argument misconstrued here, but man. They have 19 fumbles lost on the year. The next closest team only has 12. I mean, 19 fumbles lost on the year is insane. Like, who, who loses two fumbles a game? That's a pretty good amount of, of bad luck. And they also, they've also thrown 16 picks. That opponent has, has less, you know, l- l- less to do with luck, certainly. They are luck. Uh, and I've only watched a couple of Duke games, so I'm not trying to sound like an authority, but there's, there's, there's plays where, Duke has a decently uh, run play schemed up and guys just lose the fumble or just lose the ball. I mean, you know, you get somebody reaching in, uh, ripping out a ball and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they continue to practice ball security whatsoever, but or, or other things, but they are easy to cough it up. Certainly. Certainly are. So that's pretty much all you guys need to know about the, about the Duke offense. Like if the Duke offense balls out, Find some way to cancel the Wake Forest game. Like the, the, this is the worst. I mean, I could cl- very clearly see them. I mean, they're going to spread you wide. They're going to make you make some decisions about responsibilities, and uh, they like to kind of nibble over the middle. And when more times than not, when they do try to go deep, uh, it's something towards the sidelines where they either create confusion or just send a go route uh, in a in a situationally timed uh, place. But. It wouldn't shock me, man. I mean, I know they're bad, and we've already acknowledged this, but they do some things conceptually that if uh, if Bryce has a second and if they're motivated, uh, I could see them putting some points on the board. I, I agree. I mean, it's it's certainly possible. I just, this is the worst offense you have faced all year. 
pretty sure. And at the FBS level, by a pretty decent margin. Yeah, yeah by, by a significant amount, if we're only looking at FBS. I mean, if we take out Jacksonville State, uh, and Jacksonville State's offense is not bad by the FCS standards, but I think Dukes is, you know, similar, I would say. The, the, this is an offense that, if you've made any progress on defense, you should be able to to show well against. If you have players, which, who knows? I mean, you, you got, you know, running backs cross-training at linebacker and whatnot. They're, they're just trying to get more games in so they can get paid and then get a home game in. And we, we certainly understand that both from the university perspective and also from the, the local business perspective. But yeah, man, this offense is, is bad. Like there's, there's not a lot of playmakers on it. It's just not a good offense. We go defense. Let's go defense. So uh, we will remind you, the listener that our defensive preview is brought to you by our friends at congruity. Uh, congruity is experiencing your business, optimized, highly customized HR solutions, Designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Congruity brings you meaningful outsourced HR for companies just like yours. Work with our friend and business expert, Matt Lewis, uh, to find the ways that they could best partner with you. Congruity can be, Matt can be reached at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right. Uh, so defense, their Duke's defense is rated 69th in the nation. Nice, uh, except you know, not not really. Uh, this is actually kind of a similarly rated defense to those of NC State, to Georgia Tech, to some other teams that Florida State has played. Uh, now I got to tell you, I am not sure. Like, okay, I I do think that Duke's defense is better than its offense. But I also went to Florida State at a time when FSU's offense was horrendous. And its defense, oftentimes, it's pretty good. And then you got kind of discouraged by what the offense was doing. You and I were talking pre-show, and I think you have some really good points on this. Like, Do, do you think that their offense is just being, you know, kind of wearing this defense out, especially with all these turnovers? So there is talent on the defense that doesn't, like, doesn't exist on the offense. When you look at some, you know, Rumpf is a, is a good player who they kind of line up. I mean, I love what they do with him. They line him up uh, all over the place, try to get him isoed on on weak play on weak uh, personnel, and really have him lining anywhere from almost like uh, two and a half yards, like you see a like a Mike linebacker walked up or something like that. And then occasionally you'll see him line up at traditional defensive end. Uh, it's interesting what they do. Also, like. Uh, yeah, not really impressed with their linebackers, but they've got some decent uh, players in the se- uh, safety. Uh, decent players in the secondary, in my opinion, their safeties are better than the corners. But who boy, they've got some nasty plays when you look at them on defense. And you mentioned uh, where they rank, and I think uh, you brought up a good point that they're a decent down to down defense, but. Uh, when it goes bad, I mean, it goes like 87 yards to the house and you don't even see a member of the uh, second level of their defense present in the play. I mean, they, they, have some, they have some plays that make you think, huh, their linebackers are perhaps worse than Florida State and have worse, you know, football uh, just kind of cognitive ability is to diagnose a player and have an idea as to what's out there. Um, their defense is statistically better than their offense. I think, you know, there are some aspects kind of where we talked about how bad the offense is rated, but kind of in ways scare with how they pair uh, with Florida State's weaknesses. And I think Florida State could run the ball 
on Duke at a level that it doesn't have a chance to replicate on any other defense that they're going to see all year. I mean, I think Florida, I think this is a decent matchup if such a thing exists for Florida State's offense right now. I'll, I'll also note, Ingram, that like, you know, that defensive rating is based on their, their full season performance. And w- when I see teams like Georgia Tech having a 50% adjusted yards, you know, available yards against them and a 45% success rate, uh, and, and just ripping off big run after big run. North Carolina put up 56 points on them. Georgia Tech put up 56 points. Miami put up 48. And, and yes, it is fair to note. I mean, Duke has had just horrendous field position for its defense in all these weeks I just referenced because their offense just keeps turning the ball over. They had five turnovers last week. They had five turnovers a week before. Trying to figure out how many they had against North Carolina. Well, it was what week ten, I think it was, because they, they had two games canceled in a row. They only had two turnovers against North Carolina, which is, you know, it. What was this? How did we ever? How did we ever win? Whatever the, the line is in Major League, it's it's a miracle, uh, or is that Bull Durham? Um, I'm, I'm botching that. But uh, you know, a 54 percent success rate allowed against the run by, by North Carolina. This defense has kind of collapsed down the stretch. I think that's how we square this. Like, how do they rank where they rank? But yet, how in the recent games you watch, like, how are they playing so poorly? And I, I think they've collapsed some. I think these turnovers at the offense, uh, you know, has been doing, uh, have really put this defense in a bad spot. As you noted, down to down, 46th, explosiveness allowed, 112th. So this actually pairs great with for, what Florida State does, man, because Florida State does not go on, on, you know, 15, 20 play drives. They're not consistent enough like that, especially not with this offensive line. Florida State really lives to pop big runs. That's what they do. They can't throw the ball. Jordan Travis can't. And Trevor Purdy's hurt. And Tate Rodemaker is Tate Rodemaker. Kids are free to make their decision. I really wish we could have gotten one more game out of Webb before he opted out. This would have been this would have been a game where he could have put up like 135 yards, in my opinion, or something like that. So I think that's I think that's very fair. Uh, I hope Toe Philly can get out there and and play well. Here's the other thing that I think if you're a Florida State fan, like you can't count on on all these turnovers, right? By the way, Knowles just nailed a three pointer to go ahead two sixty one. They were down fifty nine sixty one. So we got we got about a minute to play left in this Indiana game. This could be a choppy edit here, uh, just just for a minute. Man, I got to tell you, like this is an encouraging. Because I, when I look at games, I'm like, okay, assuming that they don't keep turning the ball over, what, what are some things that we can look at uh, that say that Florida State can win without all these turnovers? Well, here's one. Duke's defense is much better against the pass than the run. I don't care if you have the best defense, pass defense in the world or the worst pass defense in the world. It doesn't really matter because Florida State just can't throw the ball. They're a glorified option team at, at, at this point in the year. Yeah, Duke might be 35th in the nation against the pass. But they're 85th in the nation against the run. And that's really the relevant stat here. Because Florida State, assuming Jordan Travis is healthy and out there, is going to look to run the ball a whole lot. And you may have 50 rushes and 15 passes in this game. And I think if you're Florida State, you are absolutely okay with that. Uh, Duke also has a tendency to bust on third down against teams. So, hey, we'll take it. (laughs) Right? I mean, they... It's kind of weird, man. For all of the good pass rushing that they have, and you mentioned they have athletes and you know Chris Rumpf and, and uh, you know Victor. I don't know how to say this guy's last name. But did you pick up the pronunciation in the games you watched? The uh, Victor Dumukeje, I'm guessing. Uh, 
Yeah, I think it's Dumakanje, but uh, those guys are pretty damn good. I mean, they have almost 20 tackles for loss between the, the pair of them. I don't think Florida State has much chance of blocking them if FSU gets behind the chains, uh, but they're not amazing against the run. They're, they're deep. Those two players are okay against the run. I mean, you, what did you think about their linebackers? I, I know you watched a couple games this week. Yeah, no, I mean, their linebackers are, in my opinion, quite poor. Uh, they are as worse of a unit. And again, I'm, I'm watching games like you pointed out, and I think it's very appropriate. I am skewed because the games that I'm watching are some of their more recent ones, but their linebacker unit is as poor as any unit that I've seen uh, this season. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. They're, they're, I, I see their safeties make a lot of tackles, which I guess good for them that they actually make tackles, but also if they don't make tackles in it's, it's explosive play, so they might be the last line of defense there. Uh, other players you should probably know, uh, Shaka Hayward makes a lot of tackles for them at the linebacker spot, but not a whole lot of impact tackles so far this year. Michael Carter, one of their, one of their better DBs. You know, this defense ha- hasn't been terrible all year. They might rise up and play well against Florida State because they, they watch the film and they say, oh, we actually have a shot to, to play against this offense. But I, I do think that the, uh, the strengths of this Florida State offense, they, they match up fairly well in terms of exploiting the, def- the, the, the weaknesses of this Duke defense, man. I think we just gave a decent preview <laughs> for a game that, one, we're not sure is going to happen, and two, if it does happen, what the personnel is going to look like. I mean, you know, we'll have to see uh, if there's if there's contact tracing. There's certainly, you know, there is, are, is some chatter out there that both sides have had positive tests this week. That doesn't surprise me at all if that's the case. I mean, if it gets into certain units uh, for Florida State, I mean, it's going to literally look like a seventh grade football team where a guy may be playing defensive end one possession and strong safety the next or something like that. I mean, when Bud and I spent the summer talking about the fact that you might see some crazy, crazy stuff from a personnel perspective, uh, this may be the game that happens. I mean, you might see guys play on another side of the ball that you won't again, and you otherwise would have never otherwise, or you, you know, you otherwise would have never anticipated. So uh, it's going to be a crazy game, all but impossible to predict. Uh, but let's give a uh, an educated guess at this point, Bud, as to what Saturday at four might end up looking like. All right, I will go. I want to go here. I I don't trust this defense. All right, I don't really know if if Tex, if uh, if Duke's going to come to play. Give me give me Florida State. Give me Florida State thirty four twenty eight over Duke. Duke. 31 Florida State 21. I mean look, I don't need to I don't need to say what I what I want to happen, but uh I think Florida State struggles to defend Duke and they feast on a defense that's going to have some responsibility or uh, questions asked of it frequently in the passing game. That's that's entirely fair, I think, to be honest. Um I mean I I told Inger before the podcast, I would probably not wager on this game in terms of like the traditional side or total. I think the, the potential variance in this game is is really pretty huge. And it's a weird thing to say because we're we're 10 games into the season. So you think you know a lot about these teams, but they sometimes these teams are they're bad week to week, but they're bad in different ways week to week. And like if you wanted to play some alternate lines or something, maybe play Florida State minus 10 or you know Duke minus a touchdown at, at much bigger odds. I'd actually feel more comfortable with that. because I think the the, the way those those things are priced are kind of on your side. 
here. Normally they're priced on, okay, Vegas knows if the total is this and spread is this, these alternate lines at, you know, at bigger, at bigger odds or, you know, like we're going to make a profit on this because it's this likely to land. This year, not, not quite so much. It's, it's certainly been different. So yeah, man, a lot, a lot of volatility. Uh, I know we have a couple of listener questions from the last show we can get to if you want. Yeah, listener questions. Uh, really, one of the favorite ones that we've had recently, in my opinion, was Lee's question about uh, you know making up any previous staff from 1975 to the present. Uh, maybe we could do the defense real quickly. We do want to say that if we had to go back and do it again, Wayne McDuffie is is probably the name that needed to be brought at offensive line coach, and that was a uh, a swing and a miss on on our part. No doubt. I, I think that's actually a really good one. Who? Uh, John Lilly probably also should have been in the mix for tight end coach as well. I don't know that I would have picked him over uh, the two guys that we talked about, but for his period in Tallahassee, he did a, uh, a damn fine job and in his own right was a really good recruiter uh, at the end there where it was not nearly as easy to recruit to Florida State as it was uh, in the previous decade or so. So uh, let's, yeah, let's do the defense real fast. You, you want to just get out of the way. I think we all know who our defensive coordinator will be. Well, DT and DC, we don't need to discuss really. So we can we can move from there. All right. Who is your defensive ends coach? So defensive ends coach is, is tough for me because I think you could either have... Jody Allen, really? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right. I got Jody Allen. And then I have a very recent linebackers coach. All right, it depends to me where you want to put Jim Gladden. Jim Gladden, in my opinion, is probably the coach from the dynasty area that is the most overlooked as to the success he had. That dude was a damn good position coach and was an incredible recruiter and would go out to Texas every year and get you one to two of the better players in that state, um, almost like clockwork. So Gladden is a, is a you know number one pick for me, basically, uh, when it comes to this. And I, I think you can kind of legitimately put him at ends or linebacker. I mean, can you be cute and have Pruitt coaching your linebackers and, and Gladden coaching your ends? That would be maybe what I would do. I want Jim Gladden at defensive end uh, for, for this reason. Like my, my, and he is, he's my pick at the end. For linebackers coach, I, I actually think I want, uh, I think you have, you have two really good options here. It's, it's, for me, it's either Kevin Steele or Chuck Amato, right? I mean, uh, uh, Amato for, you know, the, the work he did like very late in, in his career after he came back from NC State, obviously not good. But uh, before then, like, guy was a hell of a recruiter and, and, and a very good coach. And Kevin Steele, I think if you're building your ideal coaching staff, makes a heck of a lot of sense as well uh, from the standpoint that he was a very good coach, but he was also a, a tremendous uh, scheme guy. Yeah, he was that. And he got, you know, out of that defense, uh, obviously it had nice pieces, but Timmons and I mean, those, those Buster Davis, those are some of the few kind of positive uh, reflections upon that stretch of time. So no, I think that's a real, a real good name to have. And uh, I have a hard time choosing Chuck Amato personally, but uh, you know, he was a real good recruiter, you know, first time was, was kind of the first of the wave of the uh, associate head coaches or whatever. I mean, he did absorb a lot of the responsibilities and duties that had previously been, uh, you know, associated with that of the head coach. So um, some good options there. Who do you want to go with for for DB coach? Well, if you're not using Pruitt in just some kind of, Swiss Army knife, then I probably put him there. I mean, if you want to, I'm going to have Mickey coaching DBs uh, in in part. Right. But yeah. uh, if I need another name on the staff, then yeah, I would probably put Pruitt there. I, I think that's fair. If you wanted to be real cute, you could go with Kirby Smart, the graduate assistant, <laughs> uh, and, and have him coaching your defensive backs because that's 
not a bad idea either. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I would go. It's it's interesting that you know you we only picked defensively one coach from well I, I guess if you can, if you count for it it's two, um, but like DN's coaches like there's been a lot of transition at DN's coach in Tallahassee really over like the last I would say fifteen or so years, um, which which is mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, uh, linebackers coach kind of the same thing. You know, I don't think Charles Kelly was bad as linebacker coach, by the way. It didn't work out as a DC quite like everybody hoped that it would. That's a pretty good staff, man. Not going to lie. And those guys could certainly recruit too. Yeah, yeah, they certainly could. It's a nice walk down memory lane. Great question. Uh, Bishop asks, uh, this is one that we wanted to pause just to have some, some thought about it. Which FSU opponent from the past decade would you say most closely resembles this 2020 version of Florida State? All right, so I'll I'll go first here. I, I'm going to say Louisville under Petrino. Now, it's weird because it, there's a couple things here that are at play. Number one, uh, you have this element where like there's no way this team should be that bad based on the, the players that we know are or that we think we know are on that team. So there's you know, that's that's one. Uh, two, at times it looked like some of the players just didn't care and they quit. Now. I think there's a difference to be drawn here because I don't think Florida State quit on Mike Norvell, in my opinion, in order to be able to quit on something, you had to have at least bought in at some point, right? If you quit your gym membership for your New Year's resolution, you have to at least join the gym first. And I'm not sure that a lot of players on this team did that this year. But as far as an effort level and underachieving level relative to the talent we think they have, uh, I it sometimes they look like like that. Uh, like that last Petrino team at Louisville. Yeah, I mean, this may be lazy and slightly unfair because the team that I'm going to mention had three SEC wins, which I don't know that this Florida State team could play could get if they played 20 games. But uh, it's also just fun for me to bring up the fact that uh, in 2013, Florida, Florida went 4-8 and eight, uh, with a loss at the uh, end of the season, both humiliating to Florida State in a 7-37 game. And a loss against Georgia Southern in a game in which they did not complete a pass. So uh, you're looking from October 12th on that Florida team lost to LSU, lost to Missouri, lost to Georgia, lost to Vanderbilt, lost to South Carolina, lost to Georgia Southern, lost to Florida State. That's a disappointing season. I, that, that is very disappointing. I, I, I would agree with you. Disappointing season. Tough, tough one, guys, particularly that Georgia Southern game. Uh, final question we did have one more question tonight let me uh pull that up real quickly here it is uh jimmy jimmy wrote recently any idea if manny rogers got his grades up so far to be able to transfer or will this take a couple more semesters i i I talked to the guys at Florida state enough that i I really feel that if manny rogers had any chance in hell of getting back into Florida state anytime soon i would hear about it Right, because they would be really excited about it. That would be a bright spot athletically. He's for his size, he's he's pretty impressive. I don't hear about that at all, like at all, man. That's not in the plans for, from anything I hear. Now, look, occasionally that they keep stuff on, under the radar, but a lot of times I get told the stuff that's under the radar, you know, and they're like, hey, like you know, keep this on the DL. And as a reporter, kind of what you do, right? There's some information trading. Some stuff you can go with. Some stuff you got. You got to kind of keep. Keep on the DL, otherwise you won't keep getting stuff, <laughs> you know. And I can just unequivocally tell you here, I don't get anything on 
or off the record at Manny Rogers. So I don't think he's in their plans anytime soon. Um, it's just a one source conversation that I've had. So I don't want to go into details. I haven't heard anything positive about Rogers get back in the college game anytime soon, whether it be with Florida state or anybody else. So hope that changed. Certainly, you know, maybe second most talented guy in Florida state's class last year. Um, Hope it works out for him because uh, there's a lot of talent there and and you hate to see that get wasted. All right, man. Uh, I think we are think we're good. Yeah, we are uh, done for now. I'm going to uh, take a real quick pause, bring in my friend uh, David Edgar to have just a little bit of a talk as to what it's like to experience a, uh, a rough patch in the fandom, uh, kind of a conversation about fan psychology. Uh, and if nothing else, it'll be maybe interesting for some of y'all to listen to a, a Scottish guy talk about sports uh, for 15 or 20 minutes. And if you don't otherwise want to do that, you won't break my feelings uh, or my heart. And uh, Bud and I will be back here. Uh, I guess we'll have an instant reaction, fingers crossed, that we actually get the game in uh, on Saturday. And we will be back uh, next Monday to uh, do it all over again. So thank you, as always, for your support of the Nolcast. We'll have David Edgar here joining us shortly. It's, uh, it is, I mean, you're going to know you're listening to a Scotsman immediately, but it is not like, oh, I need subtitles on my movie, uh, Scott's accent, which is the case for me. It's about a, it's a coin flip for me as to whether or not I can confidently understand what a, a Scottish person is saying. Uh, so it's not a, not a Sean Connery impersonation. No, no, it is not that it is not that, but David's a exceptionally a great podcaster in his own right has one of the biggest uh, podcasts in in uh, the UK, and uh, he was nice enough to make 20 minutes for us. Awesome. By the way, one more question here I, that I need to throw on. Seen a lot of this on message boards, even though the fact that I wrote literally an explainer piece about it, um, and I've asked around several staffs now. There's a question, and the question is, do graduate transfers count against your 25, you know, like your, your 25-man limit? The answer is yes, they do. There is no exception to the new 25 player for graduate transfers, period. I've asked multiple guys who work in compliance, who work in recruiting at other schools. They ultimately never heard of that. If everybody wants to put together a really cool message board post and, you know, hey, like I, I found a way to fit 33 guys in four states class, we just got to land these, you know, these seven graduate transfers. It's just not true. It, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not accurate. So I figured I'd, I'd pass that along. Our friends at for the Table Restaurant Group, have a great uh, gift card deal as we've heard earlier. Uh, spend $10, get five for yourself. Spend $50, get 25 for yourself. Uh, just a great way to support a small business that has been a sponsor of the Nolcast uh, for six years now. And uh, great people, Matt and his team, and uh, ask that you keep them in mind as they are going through this rather rough stretch. And we're going to pivot to something a little bit different here. So if you listen to the Nolcast because you love to you know, hear about who the second team defensive back is or some of the finer intricacies of pattern match or anything else like this. This probably won't be the conversation for you. I want to bring in a, a friend of mine from across the ocean here, uh, David Edgar, host of uh, what is one of the best team-specific podcasts uh, out there. Uh, certainly one of the best that's uh, on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, David, I've been a listener uh, of yours for about 10 years. Our podcasts are kind of similar in length and size. and. Uh, just really happy to to have you on. Uh, one of the few people that I'll take podcast advice from, and David has uh, <laughs> does these live shows. That I mean, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not speaking in hyperbole to say that 
tickets have gone on sale at 10 o'clock and I have emailed David at 10.04 saying they are sold out. Can you please help me get a ticket? So uh, you do a great job. Certainly appreciative of your time tonight. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Uh, nice to be on. Uh, great to talk. Ingram undersold himself there because not only does he do an old cast, but he does shows where he talks all about US sports to, to the listeners on my network as well. And uh, that's uh, an unmissable show over here as well. So, yeah, um, not only has he been uh, a listener, he's, he's now a regular contributor as well. So the least I can do is is uh, pop up and hopefully give some advice on how to get through a tough a tough period for a side here or for a, a fan base who are used to success, what it's like when you're not going to get that success for a bit. And, and coping mechanisms, I suppose, would be the... <laughs> Some coping mechanisms, certainly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, like I said, David's great. He's a, a Scotsman that uh, that you can fully understand, or at least I've always fully been able to understand. And those aren't necessarily as easy to find as others. And uh, you know, uh, we may use a. It can't be a real conversation with a Scotsman if a, if a few words of profanity aren't thrown around. So if you've got uh, a little kid in the car or something like that, this may not be uh, your ideal you know, 10 to 15 minute interview. But, um, you know, the the things that happened with Rangers uh, around the beginning of the decade, 2012, 2013, um, some of our listeners will have some ideas, some won't and won't have a whole lot of care to, to learn about further. Uh, but Rangers are one of the more proud clubs in European soccer uh, through a series of events, found themselves uh, playing in the Scottish third division and the Scottish third division you know, probably not Recently. all that far off from rec league football here in the States, yeah. uh, to be honest. So uh, it was this bizarre. I'm sorry. It was one step up from amateur. You had this bizarre thing of, of a team who regularly played in front of 50,000 people. We would be then traveling to play football teams whose uh, average attendance was maybe 400. So, it so, was, it was, so yeah, oh, it was bizarre. So it's that period of time and kind of the idea of knowing that, hey, look, you know, the next two to three years to four years are are not going to look like the 90s, uh, which this fan base can can certainly look back and, and have a realization that the next two to three years aren't going to be some of the national championships that existed in the 1990s for Florida State or seasons where they end with one loss or whatever else. Uh, next year, Florida State goes has a 500 record. Uh, that'll be a successful season and people that have grown up fans of this program are real hard, uh, have a real hard time kind of accepting that or classifying as such. But uh, we're staring a, you know, a two to three to four year rebuild in the face and just kind of wanted to get your opinion of that. And 2013 is a unique period of time, but also there's kind of this window of 2016, 17 to where you've kind of come back, but at the same time, you're kind of struggling to find your feet again. Uh, I remember you did one episode, Davey, uh, where I always use my Florida State fandom as a reflection of uh, listening to you. And I've made this comparison a lot uh, that European soccer fans are uh, basically one in the same of, of college football fans of the Southeast when it comes to emotional investment. And you started off this podcast <laughs> <laughs> where you play your intro music as you do everyone. You have kind of a, a cheeky little beginning here, whether it's a reflection of the past game or whatever else. And I think this was the last pod of the season. <laughs> and you said, well, thank fuck that's finished. And uh, yeah. at the time I was like, ah, I've never felt that way at the end of a Florida State 
season. Well, we've got two games left, and if I could push the button to end the season right now, Davey, I probably would. So uh, we are we are fully there, and think fuck that's finished, and get this season over with, and how quickly can we move on to the next? Yeah, that's what it's like. It's like a jail sentence um, when you've gone from being what you're used to, and, and entitlement does kick in, and it's impossible not to, um, no matter what anyone says. Because you're so used to winning things, you're so used to being at the top and, and chasing down trophies and games meaning stuff, you know, games mattering all the way throughout the season. You don't play dead rubbers, you don't play matches that, that there's no uh, import to. And to for in our case, we were put to the bottom league in Scotland and we knew we were going to win all our games. We knew that, right? And we knew that we were going to come up through the divisions. Yeah, at first you try and, and sort of get on with it as best you can and, and you're sort of like, oh yeah, this is fun, it's all a bit novel and different, but that soon wears off and then the grimness and the, and the kind of dullness of it happens and um, it, it's just about, you know, you have to try and keep positive, but it's hard because as you, you mentioned right at the start there, it's like a religion, you know, it, 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 it's your life, it's, it's all the time and, and we can debate on whether or not our sports fans are nuts because we... Uh, <laughs> because we do invest so much of our uh, identity, really, in the actions of other people going out and playing a sporting game. But it's not that we can change it. Once once you're a fan, it's a lifetime commitment. And it's not like, you know, changing to a different brand of toothpaste, does it? You know, once you're committed, that's you and you're there for life. Um, in the position I think Florida State find themselves in at the moment, the key things to remember are look for the signs of progress and be realistic about it. Don't let your frustration drown out if you like the green shoots of recovery. And we've done that in the past. We've been we've been guilty about that in the past, that a bad result and it's sack the manager and start again. Always looking for a silver vision is um from another US sport. That one big thing, that one swing for the fences that will just change everything. Um that's the temptation for that is huge. Right, we'll sack the coach and then Okay, let's take a step back. Okay, we'll sack the coach. We'll bring in a new coach. We'll still have the same players. Right, okay, well, we need to recruit new players. Okay, we recruit new players, but it's unlikely that we're going to recruit a whole winning team in one in one attempt. That's unlikely. So what we're going to have to do is a little bit of trial and error. What we're going to have to do is focus on developing a playing style, focus on developing... Uh, a mentality that can't be done overnight. Another thing that happens when you are used to watching a better quality player like you guys are is that you get frustrated watching people who aren't up to what you're used to and what your expectations are. And screaming at them doesn't make them any better. You know, uh, you can only really get on a sportsman if you're not getting effort out of them. If they are giving you everything they've got and what they have unfortunately isn't what you need that's a that's a different thing um and you're only going to get the best out of them by encouraging them and by showing a bit of patience and all of this is fine in the abstract you sit down in the summer or in the winter in you guys case um and you say right okay we know all this next year we're going to go in and there'll be ups and downs and you're fine with it in theory but then when you're sitting watching the game and the people that that are representing you are not delivering to the level that you need and want and are used to, then the frustration builds up and then it's it's hard not to blow off a bit of steam to 
to go online and especially Twitter, you know, it, it, which is so in the moment to go on and say, oh, he's rubbish, he's terrible, he's a terrible coach. The, the, the programme director's got to go, you know, and you just want to burn everything and, and, and start again. But what Rangers found is we kept doing that. We kept starting again. And all we were doing each time, if you go back to the start, then you, you, that's the furthest away point from the point you're hoping to reach. And it's only when we've been able to get in a bit of stability, to get in a coach who knows what he's doing, who each transfer window, as we call them over here, you're only allowed to, to bring in new players in the summer, for one month in the summer, or for one month, or a couple of months in the summer, and one month in the winter. And he's got some of those wrong. You know, players have come in who haven't been good enough, because that's what's going to happen. Um, but each time we've got stronger. And even through that, you still get after a, a result that, that, that isn't good. You still have people that, that blow off a bit of steam and get angry. But overall, people can see where the direction of travel is, is heading. And I suppose that's the key thing. It's just to step back and say, this isn't going to lead to success this year. But will it lead to success next year? And more importantly, will it lead to a championship in two years, three years? And if the answer to that is yes when you've, you know, on the Monday morning, when you've got a wee bit more distance, then you're going in the right direction. The counter to that, the reason why it's not easy, and this is something I would say that, that Manchester United, Ingram and I were discussing just before we, we came on air, um, they're in a, a situation that Rangers found themselves in a few years ago where they've decided that they're fed up with the short-termism. So they've appointed an old player of theirs, uh, a hero of their club, and they're saying he's going to get given time and, you know, he can make mistakes and he can learn from it. And that's that's great. That's exactly what I've been saying, right? That's what he should do. But there are worrying signs that you can give him all the time in the world. He's not up to it. He doesn't have the ability to do it. So it's about judging that correctly. It's about judging that right moment. Do you have a, a behind-the-scenes team? who are going to get there, who do have the ability to get you to the level they want. And if so, then back them. But nor is it a case of if you leave in an underperforming one for too long, that it will suddenly write itself magically. Um, that's not going to happen either. And the other thing, of course, that's difficult is if you're not winning, it means someone else is. And the real kick in the pants is usually that it's always somebody you don't like uh, and their fans get to, to run roughshod over you. For a few seasons uh, and you've just got to be strong you've just got to take it on the chin um draw yourselves closer as a support as a as a fan base um you know talk to each other rather than having pointless arguments with fans of other clubs because at the end of the day the only thing that you're going to want that's going to answer them back properly is success so rather than the fan base tearing itself apart because that happens a lot as well just when everyone's in a bad mood is just to say, right, okay, you know, remember that there's a lot more that unites us than divides us. And that the reason that we are here is we all want the same thing, which is success for Florida State. Now, it might not come this season, but us arguing isn't going to change it. Us arguing and us, you know, falling out and fighting and having vendettas with this player or that player, that isn't going to work. What you've got to do is... is You've got to suffer a little bit, uh, unfortunately, and it will get better because successful sides or successful institutions, I should say, rather than sides, sides come and go. Um, but successful institutions, they know how to get success. That's the reason why there's something within 
the DNA of a successful side, you know, whether it be, you know, over here, a, a range of the Manchester United, a Liverpool, who we've just seen come back in European football, um, yeah, a Yankees or whatever, it, it, it doesn't matter. Successful sides have got something in the club DNA and you just need to find the person that can activate that. And once you do that, you'll you'll get there. But I'd love to say that it'll just be, it'll be over soon and it won't. And the fans have got the part to play in it. So I will tell our listeners that <clears throat> I honestly didn't talk to David about any of the things uh, unique to Florida State or whatever else. And David, I had about nine points written down and you damn near just checked off every one of them oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, with what you just talked about. Yes. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's... Uh, it is just an interesting time, and it's an interesting time for a fan base that I don't want to say necessarily thinks it's entitled to success, but that's really kind of all they know. And, uh, you know, the idea of a 7-6 and six record or a 6-6 six and six record or something like that being a success is uh, is pretty damn foreign to them. So yeah. it's, it's interesting to hear kind of your point of view, some of the perspective you have, and just speaking broadly about your experience with uh, yeah. with club football you, over there and, and how much it's transferable to the exact situation that Florida State fans find themselves in, both with, uh, you know, inner bickering on social media, mm-hmm. problems with individual players, players not living up to the standards of people who, you know, wore that, that number five years ago or 15 years ago or whatever else. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly a it, lot of a lot of it is it's, transferable. It's very difficult. I, I, but something you mentioned there, and this is what I mean about it being a journey that you have to negotiate. It's not just get your head down and we'll get there. You also have to kind of be aware of the pitfalls. And one of them is you mentioned they are a fan base that became entitled. Um, that happens, okay? That don't feel bad about that. People get, get quite annoyed and they say, oh, we're not entitled. Of course you're going to be entitled. If you're used to the best, then you come to expect the best as your baseline. There's nothing wrong with that. And that should be what a, a sporting institution tries to to create for its fan base don't allow the shirt to shrink to fit the players who are in it be understanding Mm. of it sure but that doesn't mean that you say well this is us now we're a six and six team okay um sure you might be a six and six team for a year or two years or whatever but you don't accept that that's your level because if you do that then if the expectations lower then the demands will lower and if they all lower, then mediocrity becomes acceptable. And the more that the standard drops, then the more acceptable it becomes. So you, you still have to keep in mind of, okay, we understand that we are not there, but that up there is where we need to be. And that's what you have got to keep your eye on and, and you as an institution have got to be working towards. Because if you sportsmen of any sport, will always, if you offer them an excuse, they will grab onto it because it's never them, <laughs> you know. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, the legendary Manchester United manager, said that. He said, footballers are fantastic at finding a reason why it wasn't their fault. And I think that applies to all sports people. So as a fan base, yes, you need to, you know, you can't just shout and suddenly you'll start winning again. It doesn't work like that. But equally, nor, I think, should you be... Uh, allowing the institution to to say to everyone, "Oh well, your expectations are wrong." No, they're not. Okay, that that's what made us what we are. That's why we support. That's why we're one of the greats. Um, our expectations aren't going to change. Now we may have to accept we're going to be disappointed for a couple of years, 
but we are not going to accept the the standard that we have set is the one that you want to reach because if you hire a, a, a coach or a performance director or a sporting director or whatever and you allow them to set the bar as being seven and five then that's all they'll aim for and that's you know if, if you aim low and you don't even get there then you're even further back and that's what rangers did for a couple of seasons where there was this attitude of, well, what do you expect? You know, this is as good as it can be. And it, it took in, it took, you know, Stephen Gerrard, a legendary figure in, in sport and a real winning attitude he brought as a player. It took him to come in and say, actually, no, no, that's not good enough. It's not good enough to say, oh, well, this, these other sides have got more money to spend on players than we do, etc. I don't care about that. Um, that. That doesn't work. So you need to, to balance the realism with, I suppose the best way to say it is, yes, be realistic about where you are, but don't ever let your dreams get smaller because it suits the individuals at the institution. Keep pushing them, and it's always a case of, okay, you did better this year than we, ex- than you know, than, than we maybe expected at the start of the year. How are you going to improve on it next year? How are you going to improve on it the year after that? And and when are we getting this championship? And once you do that, and you make it clear that you're always going to be shouting for the moon and you want them to aim for that. And they might not make it in the first year or the second year, but you know they damn well should have a plan in place to make it by the third. I knew you were a very good podcaster, David. I didn't know you were a, uh, a great motivational speaker as well. Uh, so I've <laughs> been, been, uh, been really uh, impressed by your take on things and, and how applicable a lot of the stuff that you've talked about. Uh, I won't bore <clears throat> fans, nor am I trying to pump Rangers propaganda out there uh, to an audience that some of, some of it cares for soccer, some of it doesn't. But as Rangers have found success over the last two years and kind of reestablished themselves as a prominent club, do you think people are, are really enjoying this ride? Do you think people are soaking up how much, uh, kind of how unique it's been and a, and a climb back that, you know, certainly it wasn't guaranteed? Now, maybe in the long term over over a long window of time that would take place or, uh, you know, Rangers are a little bit unique in the fact that they have this uh, domestic rival that is as intense as any rival in sport. But uh, do you think as just us as sports fans, as we go through this process that we're really cognizant of what we've accomplished at the time, or is it always kind of looking 20 yards down the road as to, to what the next thing is? I think there's, there's an element of both. I think that, you know, certainly as we've been going through this, we've had to just keep our eyes focused on the future because at times the present was too depressing, you know, and it, it, the old adage, if we didn't laugh, we'd cry kind of thing. So you do have to, you know, keep focused on that. But as we've improved, then, yeah, I do think that there has been a, a renewed uh, uh, understanding, if you like, of, of what success means. There's been a, an appreciation more that we've taking time to smell the roses a little bit that we're aware that things haven't been so good uh, in the past whereas you know someone my age really from being you know I, I became a fan went to my first game when I was you know four or five years old um, for the first 25 years of my, my life all I knew was success all I knew was winning things you know a year that we didn't win things was a disaster um, and then <laughs> you know Rock bottom became a whole damn other level, you know. <laughs> it was as if it was as if somebody had got out a pneumatic drill and had to take this down into the centre of the earth kind of thing. 
Um, and it meant that when we were got when we got back to, to where we wanted to be, and, and now that we're beginning to show that you know real signs of being a quality outfit again, we do we appreciate the victories, we appreciate the good performances in a way that we didn't always do in the past because you know, we we were spoiled a little bit, I suppose, by success. However, now there is more enjoyment, I would say, definitely. From people my age that I speak to, we all say that, that there is much more of a, um, you know, we, we take the time to to look on it and enjoy it. Now, I, I think I'm realistic enough to know that if we win everything for the next 10 years, I don't think we will, but I hope to, to hell I'm wrong. But say we win everything for the, t- the next 10 years, I've got no doubts that I'll be spoiled again in 10 years. But that's mm-hmm. okay. We're, we're fans. We're allowed to be up and down. The you know the reason that we love sport is because it brings us on these journeys, and uh, I suppose the again, if I can use another cliche, you know, if you if you've seen what it's like at the bottom, you appreciate a lot more what it's like when you're up the top, and we are finding that, yeah, and you guys will find that, and I think that there is uh um for a for a support, I think that when you've been with them through the toughest times, it does lend you. Uh, another level and it does give you a little bit more uh, I, I'm struggling to find the right word here but I, I think it, it it just adds a little bit more authenticity to your support that you can say you know I was here for the good times but I was here in the bad times and I didn't go away and mm-hmm. I stuck and, and I went through that with you and there's an endurance to that and I think there's a dignity to doing that because it's very easy as in life it's very easy to be there when things are going great it, it it takes spirit and it takes heart and it takes all of those things that, you know, in your nation and in my nation that we hold quite dear as being qualities, that perseverance, that determination, that grit to to do that and to get through the difficult times. But once you've done it, and you will do it, you know, that's the thing, you will do it. Probably not as quickly as you want to, but you will do it. Then when you're back at the top, you know, you, you do have that added level of I could have quit on this. I could have gone somewhere else. I could have done something else. I could have cut that that cord that links me to, to Florida State. And I didn't when that would have been the easier thing to do. And I think it does, as I say, lend you that extra dimension. And I think it's something that, that as a support, you can take a lot of pride in that you did that. Uh, <clears throat> David, this has been more than I, I could have hoped, man. So I, I really appreciate it. I messaged David. I said, how late is too late? And uh, he gave me an hour <laughs> and that there are five hours in front of us. I said, okay, great. I'll call you 20 minutes before that. So uh, no, I really appreciate you staying up and uh, carving out time to talk with us. Uh, if you're so interested, David's podcast is called Heart in Hand. Uh, you can find David on Twitter at IbroxRocks. That's I-B-R-O-X-R-O. CKS and uh, my man, I really, really appreciate your time tonight. And uh, you spoke at a, a a level that I think can be uh, extrapolated on at uh, maybe even more than I would have expected coming into the call. So uh, I really do appreciate it, David. Uh, a pleasure, and all the best, guys. I'll be I'll be rooting for you. I hope that uh, you're you're back where you belong soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.